Before we spend some time over the summer preparing for and uh, doing some stuff over New Day and having guest services and things like that, we spent some time in the book of 1 Kings, as you may recall if you were with us. And uh, we're going through a little series looking at the lives of Elijah and Elisha. And uh, if you've never heard of them before, it doesn't matter really, because we'll look at uh, and explain what's going on. But these were two guys that were prophets in the Old Testament, and uh, they were around the people of God, and they brought God's word to the people. And we'll spend some time looking at Elijah and what's been going on in Elijah's ministry. I mean, maybe you've, uh, you can recall some of the accounts we've had of Elijah going to the king, who was King Ahab, and uh, declaring there isn't going to be any rain until he says so. And then, uh, you know, two and a half or so years later, goes back and says, well, now there's going to be, going to be rain. We found that uh, in, the, in the intervening time, Elijah was looked after by God, cared for him, firstly by sending uh, ravens to bring him meat, and uh, he lived by a brook, and then the Lord led him to uh, a widow and her family, and once again he was taken care of. And then the pinnacle, if you like, of Elijah's ministry, uh, the real high points, literally, uh, was at the top of Mount Carmel, maybe you know the story in 1 Kings 18, where Elijah challenges the prophets of the false god Baal and uh, basically says, well, let's see which god sends fire. And uh, if you know the story, you'll know Elijah letting the prophets of Baal go first, seeing if they could call down fire from their god, and nothing happens. And Elijah sort of taunts them and teases them as maybe your god's on holiday or has gone to sleep or maybe to shout a bit louder. Nothing happens. And then Elijah prays to the God of heaven and fire comes and burns up the sacrifice, licks up even the water around it and the Lord God is seen to be the real God. And then Elijah has a bit of a wobbly it's not a Bible word, but it's my interpretation of it. And he sort of runs off, gets a bit depressed, isn't quite sure what's going on. He's pretty much exhausted, really, after such an uh, intense time. And once again, God comes to him and brings him back, speaks his word to him afresh. Even though he sort of ran off away from God, even wished that he wasn't even alive anymore, God still came after him and recommissioned him. And in the Christian life, in following God, failure is not forever. Failure doesn't have to be forever. We might think that Elijah had blown it, because he just sort of ran off and seemed to be trying to run away from God, not quite sure what was going on. We can look at that and think, oh, has Elijah really blown it completely now? But we know, as we read shortly, that isn't actually the case. Livia has got uh, a DVD on the, from one of the VeggieTales series, if you're a parent, and maybe you've come across the VeggieTales series. Or maybe if you're a student, you've come across the VeggieTales series, actually. And uh, I bought this uh, DVD, obviously, for Lydia, not for my own entertainment. And uh, she's got one on Jonah. And uh, in the middle of this, this uh, sort of cartoon account and story of Jonah, which, if you haven't seen it, is well worth a watch, and involves sort of talking tomatoes and cucumbers. 
should whet your appetite. There's a song that says, God is a God of second chances. And uh, Jonah hears this song in, in the story. And um, his son, God is a God of second chances. And it's so true. It was true for Jonah. And it's true for Elijah. And maybe some of you this morning need to hear that. God is a God of second chances. Failure does not have to be forever. We think of other examples from our Bible of people who blew it. If we started making a list, it would be quite a long one. King David, a wonderful king of Israel, wonderful songwriter, written many of the Psalms that we've got in our Bible, wonderful gifted musician, commits adultery and then arranges to have the husbands of the woman he slept with killed off in battle. Doesn't get much worse, does it? The disciple Peter. You know, maybe you know the story of Peter, you know, being committed, saying to Jesus, Look, I'm never gonna let you go, Lord. I'm never gonna desert you. And then when the time comes, what happens? Peter denies Jesus and runs off. But both of these characters, King David and the Apostle Peter, God is able to use once again. Because failure doesn't have to be forever. Now, God using somebody again isn't automatic. There is a condition. And the condition isn't to do with God's willingness to forgive or God's willingness to recommission, but rather it's to do with our willingness to be humble, repentant, and to receive his grace. You see, all of us, every single one of us here this morning, at some time will fail in one way or another. All of us sin. The good news is it's not the perfect person that God uses because they don't exist, but rather it's the repentant person that God uses. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. They tend to be repentant. And you see, you'll go through things, we will, won't we? Life will hit us, life will hit you. You'll fail or sin. And things happen to us, don't they? It's called life. None of that is any surprise. But listen, it's how we respond that counts. Now, if there's sin involved, we need to repent and come to God and confess our sin and repent of it, turn away from it, and come back to him. But as we do that, God loves to forgive and give fresh grace in the situation. So the question is, does your heart become hard and unresponsive to God, or does your heart stay tender towards him and open to his grace? Now in the cold light of day, if every one of you were to grab a pen and paper and write down an answer to that question... I am sure, even though I don't know, most, don't know all of you, I'm sure that all of you would say, oh yeah, I want my heart to stay tender. I want, my, I want to be open to God. I want God to be able to use me again. That would be our default position, wouldn't it, I guess, for all of us. But the sad reality is that we've probably all met people, all met Christians, who have allowed their hearts to become hard towards God's. And they're full of bitterness, full of envy. And often it's bitterness that something didn't work out as they had hoped or didn't work out as they had expected. 
and it's sort of got tangled up inside them and they haven't let it go. And years later it's still there, causing problems. See, we've all had things that don't work out, haven't we? I'm sure we have. I have. But the question is not will those sort of things happen to us because they will. The question is what happens to our hearts? What happens to our relationship with God? God gives us a choice. God gives you a choice. How will you respond in those situations? So for Elijah, God came to him. And even though he ran away, even though at one point he wanted to die, which seemingly for Old Testament prophets is quite common, Jonah was the same, God was still able to use him again because he remained in touch with God, he was willing to hear from him afresh, his heart stayed tender towards him. And so Elijah is recommissioned and given some things to do for his God. And that's where we pick up the story today. Now, I deliberately spent quite a bit of time just on that introduction because I felt it was important. As I was preparing this week, I felt God say that that, that, that was an important part of it. And uh, I was reminded about this phrase, God is a God of second chances, even from listening to what John was saying about Moses last week. How he was talking about uh, Moses and how Moses blew it, but God was able to use him once again later on. I felt God say, people need to hear it again. So maybe there's, maybe it's one of you, or some of us, who need to hear it again. God is a God of second chances. And the issue as to whether it works out is not with him, but it's with you and me and our heart towards him. So, let's pick up the, the account. If you've got your Bible with you, you want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. You're going to be finding that. We're going to read just a few verses together this morning. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. The call of Elisha. So, this is what it says. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Let's pray together and then we'll spend just a short while looking at these few verses together. Father, we thank you for the the stories we have of the lives of Elijah and Elisha and we pray now as Elisha comes on the scene uh, in this passage we've read that you would speak to us, help us to, to learn something from your word this morning. Holy Spirit, would you apply the truth of your word to our lives? Would, would you come and be our teacher this morning? Give us ears to hear, Lord. Give us ears to hear what you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Elijah has been told by God to go and anoint Elisha to succeed him as prophet. It's a bit confusing, isn't it? Elijah and Elisha. Sometimes I think, Lord, why couldn't you have chosen somebody with a completely different name? 
they wouldn't have got confused. But anyway, so we've got Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah has been told by God, go and find Elisha and anoint him as prophet. And implicit in this expectation, is, is, is rather implicit in this instruction, is the expectation that Elijah will train him. Not just say, Elisha, you're the prophet, and then disappear. Because that wouldn't have necessarily been very helpful to Elisha. So implicit now is the expectation of Elijah to invest something in this guy, to train him in the role that he's been, that he has had. And uh, we'll see that uh, Elijah's ministry is far from over now, but rather he's still got some important things to do. And one of them is train Elisha. Elisha's ministry is just beginning, isn't it? It's the very first, earliest account we have of Elisha uh, coming on the scene. The commentators say that Elisha was probably from quite a wealthy family. I mean, he had 12 pairs of oxen. So, you know, he he wasn't, he came from quite a substantial family, maybe had a lot of land or or, or things that he was doing. So, uh, he probably had quite quite a good income, quite a good lifestyle but we see that he was willing to leave all of that. Elijah goes to him and throws his coat around him. Or as some other translations put it, his mantle. And there's a suggestion here what will come, because if you know what happens, and we'll see in a few weeks' time, Elisha receives Elijah's mantle once again when he's taken up to heaven. You see, Elijah's mantle, or his cloak, was a sign of his authority. It was a sign that God had given him. The commentator, whose name is just brilliant, August H. Conkle, it's a good name, isn't it? August H. Conkle, in his commentary on, uh, on One King, says this. He says, transfer of the garment signifies a tra- transmission of the mission and the ability to accomplish it. It signifies a transmission of the mission and the ability to accomplish it. God was calling Elisha and he was giving him the authority to do what he'd asked him to do and he was giving him the ability to do it. He wasn't just saying, Elisha, you're on mate, off you go, go and be a prophet. But rather, God was involved here and God was going to give him everything he needed to become the prophet. So Elijah was signifying what was going to happen. Elisha had been chosen And now it was up to Elijah to train his new protégé and prepare him for his role. Now, at this point, we don't know from Scripture whether Elisha had got a track record in being prophetic. All that we know is that he had 12 pairs of oxen. So, not a lot of experience, as far as we can see, in declaring God's now prophetic words. But that didn't matter to God and it didn't matter to Elijah either because God was involved and God said, do it. So I wonder what has God said to you? For Elisha, he was being called to be a prophet. What has God called you to be? What has God said to you? Maybe it's being a godly husband and father. Maybe it's being a faithful friend. 
perhaps a godly wife, a mother, maybe a leader of a cell group or another ministry, maybe a business entrepreneur, maybe a radical disciple of Jesus. What has God said to you? And if you can't think of anything specific this morning, then there are some givens in Scripture that God expects from all of us. Things like when Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. When Peter reminds us to be holy. These things God has said to all of us. Follow me, for example, is not just, you know, wander around after Jesus in the sort of Israelite countryside, but rather he says to you and I, follow me, which is the whole giving of our lives, isn't it? There's a whole being willing to let him being the one that's in charge and us being the one that's following. That's a big ask, follow me. So are we doing it? What has God said to you? Are you following? Not just initially when you became a Christian, but daily, in every decision that you face, maybe in your home life, or your school life, or at college, or at work. Are you following Jesus? I wonder what God has said to you. So for Elisha, God is calling him to be a prophet now. Elijah had to be obedient and go and find him. But Elisha had to respond with faith. Elijah had to go and find him. Elisha has to respond now with faith. He could have said, not me mate, you've got the wrong guy. You know, I'm an expert in ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen. But I'm not a prophet. You've got the wrong person. I, I, I think you want Fred. Maybe not Fred. I think you want you know, somebody else just round the corner on the next farm. He's quite prophetic. I think he's the guy you want. He could have said that, but he didn't. He responded with faith. He took drastic action, didn't he? He didn't just say, okay, we'll give this a try, give it a shot, see if it works out or not. If not, I'll come back to me ploughing because I'm quite good at that. But rather, he burns his ploughing equipment. He sort of severs his link with the past and says, I'm following, I'm in for this now. If God has called me, then I'm up for it. And he follows wholeheartedly. And he goes off not to be straight away the prophet. What does he go off to do? Become Elijah's attendant. It's interesting, isn't it? So, here's Elisha. He burns all his playing equipment and he doesn't get thrown into some huge public prophesying ministry straight away. He gets thrown in to the ministry of carrying Elijah's luggage. That's what he does. He becomes Elijah's attendant. Follows after him with his notes and his scrolls in his spare shirt, you know, he's Elijah's attendant. He's there to help him out. Now to book the next B&B on the road. Whatever it is that Elijah needs doing, that's Elisha's job now. And he sets out to become his attendant. It's interesting, isn't it? It's a sign of humility. A sign of being willing to learn. He responded with faith and responded with obedience. Responded with faith and responded with obedience. Let's just look at these two things briefly. I wonder, how do you respond to God? John last week looked at Moses, didn't he? Remember the story of Moses 
where God appears to Moses in the burning bush. Now, I don't have any great uh, picture illustrations of Lego men this week, I'm afraid. But God appears to Moses in the burning bush and Moses argues, isn't he? Now, I mean, you've got the wrong person. Pick somebody else. I can't speak. Do I really have to do it? You know, can't you try to get out of it? What about Gideon? There's another example of somebody who argued with God. No, I'm sure you've got the wrong person. I'm the, I'm the least of my family and my family is the least of our clan. And, hey, you must have got the wrong guy. But Elisha's different. Elisha responds with faith. He says, okay. And he's in for it. So when God speaks, how do you respond with faith? I think this is an important question worth answering. When God speaks, how do you respond with faith? Number one, you believe what God says and you don't be cynical or negative. Believe what God says and don't be cynical or negative. Negative and cynical people rarely accomplish anything. Certainly not in God's kingdom. He can't use such people. He's not looking for negativity, for cynicism. God is looking for faith. He's not looking for experts either, which is good news for all of us, isn't it? God isn't looking for perfect people. God isn't looking for experts. God is looking for faith. Listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9. Don't you want God to strengthen you? Anybody want God to strengthen them? We need it, don't we? If you want God to strengthen you, then receive his power. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive his strength. Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So as you respond with faith, God strengthens you with his spirit. What the Bible is saying here is God is looking around the earth, even looking upon us here this morning, looking upon every one of you, and he's looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. And when he finds them, what does he do? He comes to those people and strengthens them with power. And then we can accomplish what God says to us. But it starts off by having hearts that are committed to him, receiving his spirit, being strengthened by him, and then we can accomplish what God asks of us. It's not by being perfect or being experienced, about being full of faith, trusting God, receiving his strength and power and then we can step out. So the first thing there was believing what God says. Secondly, how do you respond with faith? Well, secondly, you allow God's word to sink in your heart. Not just read it and think, oh, that was nice. But you allow it to sink in your heart and do you some good. You pray about it. You meditate on it. Ask God to speak to you more. You receive it. Thirdly, you don't allow your inexperience or age to be a barrier or an excuse. You don't allow your inexperience or age to be a barrier or an excuse. 
Can you put your hand up if you are under 20? Put your hand up if you're under 20. Okay? You're not under 20. Well, listen, listen to this. Listen to what, listen to what God says. Now, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. So often we can write ourselves off because we think, oh, I'm too young. Well, when I was under 20, in fact, probably quite significantly under 20, that's when God first spoke to me about being in some sort of Christian ministry and leading a church. I had gone to a, a service of ordination of somebody who was becoming a minister of another church and I'd gone with my parents because we got to know this guy and it was in that service that I felt God say to me, that'll be you one day. I can't remember how old I was. Probably, let me think, maybe about 15, 16, something like that. I should have looked up the dates before I came this way, I forgot to. But it's while I was under 20 that that happens. So don't write yourself off because you think you're young, but you can set an example in speech, in love, in faith and in purity. You can do it and God will speak to you. See, age is not a barrier to serving God. You're not too young. But neither are you too old. And disciples, it's reckoned, were probably teenagers, most of them, when Jesus called them. Put your hand up if you're a teenager. Okay, some of you are. Some of us are thinking, I wish I was still a teenager. (laughs) But listen, the disciples were teenagers, probably. Look at all they did. We've got books written about them. They turned the world upside down because they followed Jesus wholeheartedly. Even at a young age, you can decide to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. But also, you're not too old. In Joshua chapter 14, we come across a guy called Caleb. Now, you may know the story of Caleb. Years before, he's gone out to to look at the promised land. And then years later, when the land's being sort of divvied up, Caleb says, now I want my inheritance. What's being promised? I want to take it. I want to go fight the enemy and get the land. How old is Caleb at that point? Anybody know? 85. Anybody over 85 this morning? Only on a bad day, Martin. (laughs) Caleb is 85 and he's still going, come on, give me the Amalekites. Let me fight them. Let me take my land. Let me inherit what God's spoken to me about. So you can never too young and neither are you ever too old. Age is not a barrier to serving God. And even though you may be getting older physically, you can still stay young in spirit. And I want to urge those of you who are older than me, and this is many of you, (laughs) respectfully, listen to what I'm going to say, I want to say this respectfully, I want to urge you, stay young in spirit. Okay? You're never too old to serve God or to follow him. So Caleb's 85, he's still going for it. I, can't, I, can't remember what, I don't even know what, of what age he dies. 
But I can imagine he's going for it for years to come. So, you know, I can imagine Caleb being 105, still in his wheelchair, going, come on, give me the Amalekites, I'll sort them out. But listen, he stayed young in spirit, willing to be used by God. So as we grow older, I put myself in that category as well, let's make sure we stay young in spirit, still being open to God speaking, not thinking, oh, it doesn't happen anymore, it's just the youngsters. It's not just the youngsters, friends. Whatever age you are, God can and wants to use you. But you can stay young in spirit. What about responding with obedience just before I run out of time completely? It's interesting, isn't it? Elisha, as we said, became Elijah's attendant. He was willing to put himself in a position to learn. And that involved serving. He may have had quite a responsible position in his family or in his neighbourhoods, but he was willing just to set out and become Elijah's attendant, carry his bags and his luggage, because he was willing to learn and willing to serve. So what about you? Are you in a position where you can learn? Are you willing to serve? As you read on, and we will do in future weeks, you'll find that Elisha had an amazing ministry. Elisha was an amazing prophet. We're going to look at a few of the stories in the weeks ahead of what happened through Elisha's ministry. But it all started by carrying Elijah's suitcase. And as he followed Elijah around, as he became his attendant, he became willing to learn and willing to find out what God had for him. He didn't say, oh, you want me to be a prophet then? Okay, right, I'll go and declare God's word. And off he goes on his own. But he's willing to be discipled, willing to be taught, willing to learn. And he had to humble himself to do it. But as he humbled himself, later on, God raised him up. Wonderful ministry that Elisha had. But I think he was able to have that ministry because he was humble to start with. Because he allowed God to teach him, because he allowed Elijah to teach him, because he was humble, because he was open to receiving what he needed to know, it was then that God could bless him and raise him up. So friends, we need to make sure we have the same attitude to learning from God, learning from others, putting ourselves in positions where we can receive and learn from those around us. You can do it in a variety of ways, can't you? Maybe you spend time with with people. If you want to become more prophetic, maybe you hang out with somebody who's prophetic and ask them questions. Well, how do you hear from God? How is it for you? Well, what happens when you bring something? Maybe you want to grow in evangelism. You can spend time with somebody who's gifted evangelistically. Learn how to share your faith. Learn how to communicate the gospel. There's all sorts of resources and books and CDs that you can listen to, conferences that you can go to. I know for me there are particular people that I like to spend time with because I know that as I do that I'll learn something from them. And so it's, it's worth, as far as I'm concerned, it's worth time in my diary to spend time with them. It's worth uh, energy to, to travel to see them because I know as I do that I'll learn something, I'll grow. I'll get something from God by being with them. Let's make sure we've got that attitude. So, as we finish, don't let failure be forever. 
If necessary, repent. If there's sin involved, you must repent. Bring it to God. Confess it to him. Repent it. Repent of it. And receive fresh grace from God. And then move on. You need to know what God has called you to be. And do it. And if there's nothing specific yet, go with the general instructions of scripture. Like, follow me. Maybe you know what God has spoken to you about. In which case, go for it with everything you've got. Maybe you're waiting to hear something specific. Well, go with what God has said already. And the other thing that's worth saying here (coughs) is go with what God has got for you now. Don't worry so much about the future. I've met too many people who have said, oh, God has called me to this or that or to this place or the other place. And they're just sort of hanging around in limbo land waiting for something to happen. It's probably not going to happen like that, actually. What God wants is us to be faithful and to serve him with what is given to us now. So whatever God has given to you now, be faithful in that. And it may be that God has put on your heart a dream for the future. Listen, don't lose it. But don't just sit around going, well, I'm not going to do anything until that happens. Because if you do that, it probably won't. But rather, God wants to train you and use you now in where you are and what you're doing so that he can use you for the future. Elisha wasn't hanging around waiting to be a prophet, was he? He wasn't sitting there thinking, well, I'm going to be a prophet one day, so I'll just sit under this tree until I get my first word and then we're off. He was just being faithful in what he had, playing with his oxen, all 12 of them. And then Elijah came to him. And then it was a process of training. So he was being faithful in what he had, so God was able to use him. So often people think, oh, I can't do that because I'm waiting for this sort of future ministry. I won't do anything in the meantime. Listen, God uses the meantime to get ready for the ministry time. So allow God to use now to maybe get ready for the future. And whatever God gives you to do, do it with all your might, all your energy. Be as faithful as you can be because God will bless that and bless you through it. And as you're faithful with little, what does the Bible say? God will give you more. So let's be faithful with what God has given us. Respond with faith. Respond with obedience just like Elisha did. And who knows what God may do? Who knows how God may use us? Even as we were alluding to earlier, as Mark reminded us of that word from earlier in the year, who knows what God will do? Well, now we're at September. Who knows what God will do this term, in this season ahead, if you allow him to and respond with faith and respond with obedience. Let's stand and we're going to pray. If the band can come back, guys, we can uh, worship God together. That would be great. Father, thank you for the account here we have of Elijah and Elisha. And we thank you for how Elisha responded with faith and responded with obedience. And I pray now for each of us here this morning, Lord God, that whenever you speak to us, we would respond full of faith and full of obedience, that you might use us 
for your great glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a couple of things I'd like us to pray for uh, uh, specifically just in a moment. Let's worship God together first. Let's sing to him and uh, then there'll be a chance for us to respond to one or two things as God leads. Okay.